So hi there, podcast listeners. It's Vicki here, and I wanted to stop for just a second and talk a little bit before we start this um, next episode about some exciting things I have in store to share with you. The first thing is that I have officially launched the Author's Librarian on YouTube channel, and I have about three episodes out, and that channel is dedicated to brilliant authors that want a place to go to to learn about researching and how to find research um, resources online. So you can head to theauthorslibrarian.com to learn more about that. I also wanted to thank those that have supported me on Kofi. Kofi is um, my partner program that I use to gather financial support for what one of my other friends likes to say, um, the creative brain behind all of this. On Kofi, supporters can spend as little as $3 as a one-time donation to help keep the podcast and now the YouTube channel going. And so I haven't had a chance to thank those that have already supported me. So Patty Ray, Laura Buchanan, Sam Rintal, David Berber, Laura M. Bard, and William Cook, thank you so much for supporting this podcast. It means a tremendous amount to me. And if you want to also support the podcast by donating a little bit of money to help keep things going, you can find the Kofi link in my show notes. So thanks so much. See you on YouTube at The Author's Librarian. I'm on YouTube and let's get to the show. Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today we have a special guest. Um, so her name is Daniela Shepard. So Daniela, say hello to everybody. Greetings from Alaska. Thanks for having me. Yes, you are from Alaska. So that was like one of the first questions I ask is what state you're in. So tell us a little bit, you're, while we were getting things set up, you told me a little bit about coming in from your cabin. So share with the listeners a little bit about that with us. So I have an off-grid cabin in a town named Chicken, Alaska. It is a little bit west of the Canadian border. It's about 400 miles north of Anchorage. When we're out there, we have no AM, FM radio, no, actually, I shouldn't say we have no electricity anymore. I just installed my first solar kit this summer, solar kit with an inverter and batteries, hoping to install a wind turbine next year. I have a generator for backup. We also plan on installing our first like water cistern system as well. We The road closes today. Today is the last day they maintained the road. When we left on Monday, it was snowing. So we oh had to get God. out of there before we got <laughs> before we got trapped by snow. But we, we love spending our time out there in the summer. So um, it's great to get away, get off grid. We just really love it out there. So when you're there in the summertime, are you doing a lot of gathering and food kind of prep, that kind of thing? Or are you just enjoying the sun that you get quite a bit up there? <laughs> this summer, what we were busy doing, we built two new structures on our property. We have 31 acres. Mm. We built a new uh, kitchen. We have, we have a cabin. We built a new kitchen structure because you don't want to be storing food and cooking where you sleep because you don't want bears breaking in where you sleep. And then we built a new sauna shower complex as well. We're hoping to turn all of this into an off-grid artist retreat. 
Oh, sign and, me up. Oh. <laughs> Come so, on up. I was just saying to you when you were sharing that with me, as we're struggling, listeners, to technology, Danielle was telling me about our off-grid cabin, and I'm like, oh, I dream of maybe two or three weeks just to go do some writing where there's no distractions. And you're just answering my desire. <laughs> <laughs> We're um, next summer. We're we're like I said. We're installing our our water cistern system so we can capture the water we get from rain and purify it for drinking and showers and whatnot. We're going to be installing a greenhouse so we can grow our own food. We will still have to bring some food from Anchorage, but yeah, we're and then we we're going to be doing our earth work for our first guest cabin. So, so up I until you know next year. So, so on the list. So I'm just telling you right now because. <laughs> It is totally has always been a dream of mine to do as much of that as I can in our lifestyle. I'm in Washington State. I have a really cushy lifestyle. So the dream is there. And but I'd rather just go stay for a while and do some writing and experience it with you. So put me on the list, me and my husband. <laughs> we well, you know, I used to live in Seattle. Oh yeah. Before I moved to Alaska. I'm, I actually got my undergrad in electrical engineering from Seattle U. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you have a huge background. So let's back up just a little bit. Tell the readers from being in Washington all the way to Alaska. Give us this fast forward version of your life in Alaska. Cause I've already done some research on you, looked at your website and, but tell our listeners a little bit about you because they may not know. <laughs> like I said, I actually stepped back even a little bit more. I was in the U S Navy as a nuclear electrician's mate. Due to medical issues, I got out. I decided I wanted my electrical engineering degree, and I got it from Seattle U. As much as I love Seattle, and I always will, when I got out and I was working in Seattle, I got done with my degree, I was offered a job in Alaska, and they offered to move me. And I was like, wow, this sounds like a dream come true. They'll move me, and they'll pay me well to go live in Alaska. I started, my first day was in February, going to Prudhoe Bay, I stepped off the plane and it was minus 30. And I was thinking to myself, what have I got myself into? But I, I never looked back. I loved it. I was doing it. At that time, I was doing a one-in-one -one rotation, one week on, one week off in the oil field of Prudhoe Bay. Mm -hmm. And it was a great experience. And then also I met my husband the next year and he had 12 acres out in chicken and eventually we acquired 19 more. We weren't married yet, but we eventually decided to to get together. I blame my boss, actually, another electrical <laughs> engineer for introducing us. It's his fault. <laughs> it's his fault. So yeah, that's a fast forward version. We've really enjoyed living up here and just exploring the state of Alaska. It grows on you a little. <laughs> it is one of the most beautiful states, honestly. Okay, so you landed in Alaska, you're working, and where did the writing start for you? I've actually been writing since I was a little kid. I've always liked to write. I've always liked to read, both read and write. Honestly, though, for the most part, I would just write. I would fill notebooks and throw them away. I was just like, I was just writing for me. Though I, I did get a book published when I was seven. It was called, There's a Dinosaur in My Classroom. Oh, that's Silly book. Cool. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and actually, the funny side story to that is that it was distributed through young authors a guy I served with in the Navy actually read it. So it was, it was like weird coincidence. We dated in the Navy and he's, oh yeah, I remember that book because he remembered the picture of my dinosaur with a purse. Oh, like I had drawn a dinosaur purse. That is so adorable. 
My daughters loved dinosaurs. They were the oddball girls that were super science into all the science and technology, and they loved dinosaurs. One in particular, we really thought she'd end up being a paleontologist. She's not. She's, that's fine, but she does have lizards and a turtle. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, she's, she's my dinosaur queen. That is so adorable. I, can you get printings of that book now? I don't know. My mom kept my copy, but I, I doubt it. It was just one of those things they did through school. And so it got published and like distributed to other schools. And then we got, so it, it was just, I have a copy or I should say my mom has that copy. But, and then like I said, I talked to a guy in the Navy who'd actually read it. But beyond that, I don't know if it's still out there. I, I haven't really looked. Might be something um, for you to bring up as a reprinting. There we go. Yeah. I think that's when I'm just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So take um, us through your current journey of writing. Where did it start with you and walk us through that process? Like I said, a flash forward, I was up on the slope working two and two. So I would, believe it or not, I would... I read really fast. I can read a book in a day. Like I, when I would get off shift at night, I would sit down and start reading and I would read till I was done. But I was finding that I wasn't getting books that I was really enjoying. So I would also write. And then after a while, I was just like, maybe how they say, if you don't see what you want to read, start writing. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, these books I read, because I would get a book at the airport before I got on the plane and I start reading and I'd be like, man, this is just, I just don't like, this isn't very good. So if this can get published, why am I not even trying with all these notebooks I'm filling and throwing away? So I decided to put an honest effort into it. I'm going to go try and get published. And it's, wow, was that an eye opener? That was in about 2014 that I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go. And you start writing and you start really looking at what you've got. And I started querying and I learned a lot along the way. And I wrote in different genres. I, I wrote in romantic suspense. I wrote in horror. I wrote in romance. And while I'm still querying some of those and still editing, you know, a lot of them, I, I needed improvement. Like I started querying them and realizing, like, you know what, it really needed improvement. Some of, the, some of them, I just got rejections you know, with no real feedback. But then some of them, I got some feedback and I took a hard look and it's like, oh yeah, this needs some work. And I met one of the great things is like getting online and a lot of people will bash getting on Twitter or getting on Facebook. One of the nice things you connect with a lot of other indie authors and it's a great network, a great community to find other people to help you critique your work, help you refine your work. You can find people that, that are trying to work on their own editing chops so they're willing to edit your work for a lot less than a professional editor, or maybe they're trying to become professional editors. So it's a great network of community to find people to help you with your work and help you build your work. And so that, that was where I got to the point where I said, okay, I have this novella, which is what I self-published on Amazon. And a lot of publishers aren't necessarily looking for novellas. They want a full length mm -hmm. book. And so, you know what, back August of last year, the company I work for announced that they were selling our business unit. And so it was like, ooh, and I was going to get a package. I was getting, your choice was you could go to the new company or you could get severed. And it was like, I'm going to get a really good package. I'm going to get to take a year off when, I, when they finally sell us. When am I ever going to have this opportunity again to, to work on my own writing and try and publish a book? So I decided to go ahead and self-publish this novella just to get myself through the process and see how hard it would really be. 
And that was an eye-opener, too. (laughs) You sit there and you go through the process of editing it, having someone else edit, copy editing, proofreading, formatting for Amazon, all of that. And I tell you, those typos, they're pernicious little buggers. They hang in there. And no matter how many times you look at it, it's like, oh, look, there's another one. And you're just like, oh, my goodness. And so anyway, it was definitely a great, and I'm actually really glad I did it with this little novella that, hey, I decided to do this because I wanted to put something out there that, you know, would help me market myself, build myself as an author. So that way later when I'm querying, when I'm trying to get my bigger novels published, I can have something to point to. And I still have, I'm actually working on the sequel, which is called The Devil's Valley, and I'm hoping to self-publish it. I have a couple of other novels that I'm still querying, and we'll see where that goes. Awesome. So what genre did your novella that you printed and your sequel, what genre is that one in? Both The Dark Land and then The Devil's Valley are in the the genre of horror. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very nice. You get some dark nights right up there. So I can imagine that (laughs) writing horror would be super easy. I tell people all the time in the Pacific Northwest, even it gets dark really early. So we either have romance writers or horror writers. There's a ton of them or sci-fi. It's (laughs) one of those weird things. (laughs) Oh yeah. Actually the the other one I'm working on, A Drink of Darkness is more paranormal romance Mm -hmm. slash historical fiction. Oh, So it's a, it's on that cusp of being horror but I'm trying not to make it as dark as as my other two. But it's uh, it's paranormal because it's got vampires in it. But nice. the other two involve mythical creatures, but uh, not vampires. Yeah, yeah. So you talked a little bit and and you alluded to your support groups that you have, and it sounds like most of your support groups are online. And is that because of where you are at remote wise, or is it just that you don't have a lot of people around you? A lot of it was just, yeah, because it was just easier with what I was, where I was working and what I was doing at the time with my work schedule to join online groups. Mm -hmm. I was, I needed something where I could, I could log in online versus being, trying to meet with people in person. Now that I'm on more of a, a steady schedule and I say steady, I've been gone out at our cabin all summer And now that we've got COVID, it's the online thing will persist for a while, I'm guessing. But it just seems to work for me to me to to do the online thing. Yeah, I love online. Honestly, for me, I was already working online when COVID hit. I've been I'm nine years going in online work. And so for me, doing everything online is super easy. And I love the online writers community. It's just fabulous. You can get so much out of it. If you are willing to find the right place and get put some energy into it, you're going to get some energy out of it. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah it's how I found it's how I found my cover designer for my first book. Yep. And I found other indie artists that you can collaborate with. It's It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, that's one of the questions I ask independent authors, because I get a lot of aspiring authors that haven't quite gotten as far as you have yet on listening to the podcast. So I was curious, I always ask indie authors how they get their cover design. Do they do it themselves or do they find authors? Where did designers, did you find your designer through a specific site? Were they pitching themselves or you just found some artwork and you're like, hit them up yourself and said, I want them to do my cover. 
It was, yeah, it was through one of our writing groups. She's an author as well. And I really admired her covers and she's also a, a graphic designer. And I was like, wow. Now she, it, the funny thing is she, her name's Avery Kingston. She doesn't necessarily do horror, but she has a great eye for graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I came to her actually, if you look at the cover of my book, that's actually a picture I took from the front porch of my cabin. Oh, super cool. And so I, I gave that to her along with a few images I got from, you, you can, when I went to one of the websites where you can buy stock photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I chose a few stock photos and I gave her that photo along with a few stock photos that I thought would be appropriate. And then she just designed it. I would say to anyone who's going to get a cover designed, the one thing that really helps out is how you need to look at other covers in your genre and know what you want, have something in mind. So that way the person you're working with, one, keeps the cost down for them, but it also, it just really helps streamline the process. So. And honestly, there's nothing better than working with a true graphic designer. I'm fortunate that my, the daughter that I was telling you about this, the design, the dinosaur lover, she actually grew up to be a graphic designer. So that's what she does. And so I run everything through her from Instagram posts to my logos, everything goes through her. And if she doesn't put a stamp of approval on it, it's not going out because graphic designers have such a great way of just seeing space and how to put the text, the right, even the kind of text. And so I love that you found somebody that you can work with. And that's so super cool that your cabin is actually the picture. Cause I saw the picture cover on the website and it was really striking. So fantastic. Yay. <laughs> So, Daniela, tell us what your inspiration is. What keeps you going as far as writing? As I said before, it's something I've always just liked to do. I just, wherever I go, I take a notepad with me and I just write, whether it's the doctor's office, whether I'm sitting on an airplane, it's just something I've always liked to do. The inspirations, like, you know, the uh, being up here in Alaska, there's so many, or even just when we go out to our cabin where we go on adventures, there's just so many little opportunities for inspiration. We, like, for example, we, one of our favorite trips where the story is set is uh, McCarthy Kennecott for the Darkland. Well, just one tiny aspect inspired the Darkland. I have plans to write a historical fiction just about Kennecott, the Kennecott Mine. And actually, you could write 100 stories just about Kennecott Mine, but what inspired me there is you go through the archive photos of Kennecott Mine, and in the archive photos, there's all these pictures of people and things, but all of the women in the photos, the nurses, like all the men have, have names. It's like, oh, this is doctor, this is mister, this is unknown nurse, <laughs> unknown secretary. They didn't get a name in the story until they got married. And it's like, in one way, it's, oh, that's so sad. But it's, that's also such great fodder for a story. Who is this unknown woman who traveled all the way to this remote mine in Alaska to make money? Um, and it's just, it's, that would be such a great story. And so that's like a seed for another story. Or you go out to Chicken. I've written multiple blog posts about her and Hobbs Purdy. Have you ever read the book Tisha? No. So she was a she was a school teacher in uh, Chicken in the 1920s, and she wrote her own book about her life in Chicken Eagle, 
and Dot Lake called Dark Boundary. And then Robert Speck turned it into a novel, like a full-length romance novel about her life teaching in chicken. And it's a it's an interesting book. My favorite scene in Tisha is when the little boy gets frozen to the outhouse seat. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious because they're like, hey, where's such and such? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And so then they, they go out there and he's frozen the outhouse seat and they have to pull the outhouse seat off and bring him in. They said he's like a little prince on a litter. They bring him in the schoolhouse and fall on out. How embarrassing. <laughs> but then my favorite scene from Dark Boundary She and another, she has a native woman named Susan living with her, helping her out, trying to, and there's a little boy they've adopted. And by little boy, he's in his teens, but he's mentally deficient. He's as if he's just a little kid, but he's really good at hunting. He can hunt really well, but he can't do anything else. And it's winter. And Anne hears something at the door. So not thinking she opens it and it's a bear like a full-grown grizzly bear, and she's just stunned with terror, and the boy shoots the bear over her shoulder and then just goes, oh, stupid bear. He didn't eat enough to live through dinner, pulls it in and guts it right in front of her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but there's all these little things that are inspirations for stories that you just have all these little things that you read about, that you see, that you do, that it's just, wow. And so I write them down wherever I go and take note. And so now I have more inspiration than I can write about. (laughs) (laughs) I totally get that. I'm the same way. I'm a historical fiction lover, reader, and that's what I'm working on is writing. And every single time I do any kind of research, then I add to my story ideas for other things, because I find as you start digging, you start finding all these really great stories or great photos or wait, there's a story behind this photo and I'm going to tell it, even if I'm going to make it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, so us as writers, we're told all the time that we need to be avid readers. And it sounds like to me, you're a very avid reader because especially in your time when you're off the grid, you don't have a lot of distractions, you get to read. Oh, so wishing that was my life. <laughs> but currently, what are you reading? What's, what's in your, on your bookshelf, on your bookstand, what you read to as you go to sleep? Right now, I'm reading Tulugak, which is an oral history of ravens. It's research for my some of my writing that I'm doing right now. I'm also reading another book called Heirs to Forgotten Kingdoms, which is about the Middle East. And I picked some of the smaller religions that they date back to ancient times, and they still exist in the Middle East, but are slowly being driven to existence by radical Islam. But under, previously they were allowed to exist, you know, like the Yazis, mm. other religions, but now with radical Islam, they're slowly wiping them out. But it's very fascinating. So Astrianism, when I was working full-time, I had the chance to go to Azerbaijan, and there they have some of the Zoroastrian people that still exist. And so it's a fascinating book. In my queue to be read, I do review books too. I try and write really detailed reviews, and my next to-be-reviewed is The Darkness Within by Michael Nadeau, and then Beth Anderson's The Vine Eater. 
Okay. Wow. You got a lot. You're reading. Okay. So here's my burning question. So I don't know your location. I didn't look up on the map where you live in Alaska. <laughs> so I'm just envisioning the Amazon prime or Barnes and Nobles bringing these books out to you. How do you get your books? <laughs> so when it's, when we're like the summers, we're out in chicken in the winters, we're in Anchorage. Oh, okay. so we're, so we're, 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 we got a bookstore right down the corner. <laughs> But I, I do, we do, I do get a lot out of Amazon Prime or, you know, I, or I get them electronically because a lot of times the price to ship costs more than the book. And, it, and I love having a book in my hands I and mean, I love having the solid book in my hands, but it's, oh, okay, fine. I'll read it on my computer. I have a really hard time reading on the computer. I do. And I listen to a lot of audiobooks too, because I can consume faster. I'm dyslexic. So it's easier for me actually to listen sometimes than it is for reading. I'm a slower reader than maybe people would realize, but I love the books. I love paperback. I love the hardback book. I want to curl up to a book. So when you're on your way out for the summer, do you have to plan ahead of time of which books you're going to carry out with you for the summer? And then the rest go on. Oh, yeah. yeah, we we definitely plan what books we're taking out there. We're, we're actually starting what we call the chicken library. Yeah, we have books that we're, we're planning multiple bookshelves, some will be in the cabin. But then when we have our when we have our guest cabin that we're going to build, there will be a chicken library of chicken approved books for people who come out to to stay there. And there will also be books in the kitchen. We want this. You're off the grid. It's sorry. No, there's not going to be an Internet. So you need to either pick a book. You got to read. Oh, my God. You got to read. I so love that idea. So you don't probably don't know this about me. I'm actually a librarian as well. And so the idea of you having a collection already at the cabin would be so super fantastic. My husband's building me my creative cabin. It's a cottage. It's actually a she shed, but it's large. And it's for my studio, for my, all my podcasts, for my work day. And in the back, finally, I'm going to have so many bookshelves that I'm going to have to fill up again because I weeded a lot of books when we moved two years ago. And I'm like, oh, hmm, I might have to get more books. <laughs> right on. Oh, dang. What would be really fun is you should have, you should try to get like really authors, big time authors coming to your cabin and then bring their book and leave it in your library for other readers. That would be cool. Signed copy. Daniel Steele came to my cabin. (laughs) That would be awesome. One can only hope. I'm dreaming dreaming for you. I'm dreaming for you. (laughs) All righty. So before we get to the reading, I'm going to ask you this one question. This wasn't what I prepared you for. So it's a, a one you might have to think about just a little bit. I know you've had probably some decent advice given to you from other authors, maybe some really cruddy advice. So let's focus in on the, maybe the one piece of great advice that has been given through to you from one of your other author friends about writing or publishing that you can share with us the best advice that you've been given. The best advice that I've been given, and then I I would expand on it in the sense that Take your manuscript when you think it's all polished and done and pretty and like perfect, read it aloud. 
because you will catch, even after you've had someone professionally edit it, even after you think it's perfect, read it aloud. Even because I found that like one of the things that I do is I typically, I will print it out and I'll read it backwards. Mm-hmm. And that helps a lot. But reading it aloud or having something read it to you will help you catch things that, and I, I, I had someone tell me that, but it's, it really works. And it, it and it's funny because you, you catch something different every time. And the one other piece, I know you asked for one thing. One other piece of advice is that you have this tendency to obsess. Is it perfect? Because at some point you got to let it go. Once, once it's out there, it's out there. And sure, like even now when I was reading over this, like the piece I chose, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I can't believe I published this. And then I'm going, you know what? For my first attempt at, at a publishing a novel, this wasn't half bad. The next one will be better. So those are my two pieces of advice for publishing. And Danielle, I think they're fantastic pieces of advice. It's something that, so I work with students, online students all the time, adult students. And because I'm dyslexic, I often share with them, hey, do you know that you need to be reading your work out loud, even if you're not dyslexic, because you're going to hear a lot more mistakes. And then even for me, my brain tricks myself into thinking that I have the right word choice in there when I might not. So I have natural reader also read back to me on my computer. I have found that has just changed like my editing so much because I can hear flow of somebody else. Even if it's a computer voice, it sounds like I catch so much more because of that. So brilliant advice. And the I want to recap on what you were saying about reading backwards. So Some of the best advice I'd been given prior to becoming an author working on work when I was dealing with learning how to be a dyslexic writer was very similar advice that you print up your work and you read each sentence individually, but you start from the very end of the paragraph or the story or whatever. And you just read the sentences individually where they're not attached to each other. And then you can find a lot of mistakes that way. So brilliant advice. Good job. Because from for what I was told, you tend to get caught up in your own story mm-hmm. rather than actually editing. Yeah. And so it really helps to go backwards. Yeah. And our brains are very brilliant brains. And we will replace yeah. words that aren't correct words, but because we know that's what the word we want it to be. That's what we're going to mm-hmm. see as. And it's so funny because I didn't realize how many mistakes I was making until I started to have it read back to me not even in my my own reading I was like whoa that's not the word I wanted it to be <laughs> you know? so, yeah yeah so, no yeah great great advice okay so let's jump into the reading so before we do that tell us the title that you're going to read from and then also share whatever backstory you might need to share about the characters or the setting or whatever to get us into the feel of your reading I'm going to go quiet while you read, because as we all know, I have, or you don't know this, but my listeners know I have fur babies that often bark during the reading. So I'm going to go mute, but I'm going to let you go ahead and share your reading. And then we will take the podcast out when you're done. All right. I'm reading a segment from the Darkland, And this piece is from where Rose and Ulrich, the two main characters, have traveled out to a remote cabin near Van Creek, 
searching for the remains of Brian, a guy that actually neither of them liked, but Rose thinks that she has been asked by Penny, who is now deceased, to find her son's remains. Ulrich thinks that she has been tricked and that the letter that she has been given bringing her all the way out here to this remote part of Alaska is fake. And so they've been out here now for two days in the Alaska wilderness in Wrangell St. Elias National Park searching, and he suspects that there is foul play afoot. That's where we pick up. Ulrich, do you think the letter's fake, she asked, touching his arm once more. I'm not sure, he said, clutching the letter. He focused again on the words scrawled on the page. Rose pursed her lips and poked him in the side. Don't lie to me, she said, jabbing harder for extra emphasis. You said I was a terrible liar, so you can't look me in the eye when you're trying to hide the truth from me. Look, I don't want to lie to you, he explained, voice raising in pitch. But I don't want to worry you for no reason either. As far as I know, she was never conscious after we found her, so how could she have written you a letter? When you put it like that, it makes me feel like an idiot, she said, putting her head in her hands. No, don't feel bad, he said, wrapping his arm around her and holding her close. Like he said earlier, how could you know for sure? And look at the handwriting. It's a good match and on hospital stationery, too. If Penny didn't write this, someone went through a lot of trouble to fool you. Hell, I would have been fooled if I wasn't there, he said, rubbing her back in long, smooth strokes. But why would someone, Aaron maybe, want me to come all the way out here, Rose asked, touching the letter in his hand. That's what bothers me. It doesn't make sense. And that's why I think tomorrow we can go up the gorge and the ravine as far as we can, just to say we did it. And then we head back to Penny's. If we have to, we can stay there tomorrow night. But I think it would be best to get you home out of the equation if someone really wanted to trick you into coming out here, Ulrich said, pressing his lips to her temple. He breathed in deep the sweet scent of her hair, heart squeezing. Why would anyone want to hurt such a beautiful woman as you, he thought in his head. But then why did your parents hurt you when you were only a girl? I should give our dinner a quick stir before it burns, she said, motioning with her tumbler to the simmering pot. Definitely, he said with a chuckle. I'll let the dogs out for a few minutes before we eat. He stood up and whistled. The dogs leapt to their feet, ears perked up as their tails wagged. He had to move away from her. It was nowhere near close to bedtime and his body was in overdrive. Control yourself, he mumbled under his breath as he adjusted his beretta and tugged on his parka. He fastened his headlamp while Thor and Luggy rubbed against his legs, wagging their tails to be let out. He stepped out onto the small wooden porch, letting his eyes adjust to the darkness. The dogs dashed off, exploring the surrounding clearing. While there was a small screened-off area in the cabin for a honey bucket, he decided to use the outhouse one last time for the night. Snow crunched beneath his feet, the only sound in the stillness as he walked toward the outbuilding. The dilapidated structure leaned slightly, casting a long shadow in the moonlight. Thor came back to his side, trotting along the wintry path, stopping to investigate intriguing scents with his pert black nose. What would make Aaron want to lure her out here? Does he want to hurt her? He'd better not. I can't prove he had anything to do with Karen disappearing. She was crazy about him for some reason. Can't believe how fast he forgot about her after she disappeared. 
He was refastening his snow pants when Thor and Loki's growls raised the hair on the back of his neck. Thor bolted away, joining his brother. He grabbed the handle of his Beretta and sprinted out of the outbuilding. A nauseating putrescence filled the air. Ulrich's stomach nodded in response, throat constricting as he charged up the path. The two canines snarled at yellow eyes in the woods east of the cabin. A slinking movement caught his eye near the door. Rose stood silhouetted in the light of the lantern, looking out of the warped single-pane window. A massive hairy bulk skulked to the door and began to scratch. Claws raked the dilapidated wood, faint sound reminiscent of his dogs pawing to be let in. He saw her head turn toward the door. No, Rose, he bellowed as he pounded up the snowy trail leading to the cabin. Don't open the door. Bolt it now. Both Malamutes looked his way. When they did, they spied the creature on his port on the porch. Baying and howling, evanescent particles reflected like crystals in the silver light as they sprinted back. The beast screeched and hissed, tail whipping like a snake. Ulrich nearly dropped his gun as it reared up in the moonlight, approaching six foot in height. Though covered in a pelt of fur, the shape resembled a bear or a human. Knife-like onyx claws waved at the two snarling Malamutes. It let out a low hiss, bearing long, sharp obsidian teeth. The dogs refused to back down, lurching forward with hackles raised. With a flick of its tail, the hulking monster changed its mind. Claws clicked against the frigid wood as it crouched down on all fours. In a single bound, it leapt from the stoop. Clouds of diamond-like powder, diamond-like powder sparkled in its wake as it decided to flee rather than fight the two angry beasts. The Malamutes bayed and pursued, chasing it back into the gloom of the boreal forest. Boards creaked as Ulrich jumped onto the porch and held his Beretta level. He searched the darkened foliage of the snowbound woods. A multitude of tawny cat-like orbs reflected back in the beacon of his headlamp, closing in with every thud of his heart. He whistled loud and shrill for Loki and Thor. The slam of the door and patter of footsteps made him jump. Rose stood at his side, Winchester aimed at the dark brace of spruce. Get back inside, he exclaimed. I will when you do, she retorted. She held her weapon steady. Rose, listen to me, he growled, voice growing thick as the knot constricting his throat. Thighs still winked from the woods, enlarging in size and number as they closed in. If you think I'm going to leave you out here to face that, her brusque reply trailed off. Her rounded eyes reflected the crescent moon hanging in the sky, jaw dropping as she sucked in a gulp of bitter air. Bare fingers gripped her rifle tighter, knuckles white. There's more than one, she whispered, voice cracking. Yes, now get back inside. No, she stated, pursing her lips and gripping her weapon tighter. Loki and Thor bounded back under the porch and threw back their heads. An eerie canine serenade resonated through the darkness as both dogs called out across the icebound river channels and boreal forest. Ulrich gaped as he heard a reply in the distance. Echoing back across the frozen expanse of wilderness came the solitary trill of wolf song on the night breeze. Another picked up the tune, and then another. Before Ulrich had time to heave another breath, the river valley was alive with a desolate harmony. Music rising and following in time, with some natural unseen rhythm. A spine-tingling hiss issued from the copse of birch and spruce. Branches clattered and shook as yellow orbs melted back into the obscurity of the forest, vanishing as if they'd never been. 
Ulrich blinked, his own eyes searching the night for signs of movement or life. His headlamp bounced back and forth as he willed his pulse to slow. Only snow-clogged spruce and barren birch glimmered back, casting long shadows on the glistening, pristine carpet around the cabin. Though the undergrowth of trees was once more completely black, he swore he could still feel their malevolence pulsing in the winter night. He looked over to see Rose still standing next to him, the steel barrel of her rifle shine like polished steel in, in the moonlight. They're gone, she said. Ulrich's temple, temper soared as he recounted in his head the way the creature crouched on the porch, long claws grating at the old weathered planks. The thing had risen up in front of him like a shaggy monster out of a horror movie. What would those claws have done to her, he wondered. Rose, he bellowed, turning to face her. Didn't you hear me tell you to stay inside? How am I supposed to protect you if you don't listen to me? Protect me, Mr. Condescending? I didn't ask you to come along in the first place. Did you really think I was going to leave you to face whatever the hell that was alone, she challenged, lowering her gun as she faced him on the porch. The animals ceased their communion with their wild cousins and turned to stare at the two humans arguing. The wolves continued to howl in the distance as Loki and Thor barked and ran circles around the two of them, excited by the night's activity and the anger in their voices. But that thing could have, he choked out, trailing off as he gripped her by the arm and pulled her closer. His mind kept replaying those hideous claws and black, sharp fangs. Stabbing pain tore through his heart at the thought of her body on the floor mauled like Penny. Yeah, what if that thing had hurt you, she yelled back, eyes flashing as she poked him in the chest. And I'm just here by myself, poor little owl, waiting for it to come in here and kill me too. What's a puny bolt on a decrepit wooden door going to do against something that really wants to get in here? Ulrich's head was pounding along with his heart as he gazed down at her. He grabbed her by both her arms. Her huge eyes reflected the silvery moon. Don't you understand? I love you, he shouted. It would kill me if anything happened to you. What do you think it would do to me if anything happened to you? She shouted back, stomping her feet. He stood staring at her for a long moment, lips numb with cold as he breathed hard. He crushed her to his chest. You mean the world to me, Rose. I, I love you. Ulrich, she stuttered. She pushed back and looked up into his face, silvery tears trickling down her cheeks. I love you too. I think I've been in love with you since the first day I saw you. It would kill me if anything happened to you. You, Miss Penny, and Karen were the first people that were ever nice to me. I only have you now. She laid her head against his shoulder and sobbed. He clutched her clothes once more, burying his face in her hair. God, Rose, this is two days in a row you've nearly scared me to death, he said. He ran his hands up and down her back as he pressed his lips to her hair. I guess we can safely say now that thing last night wasn't a bear or a wolverine, she said, taking deep, slow breaths as she peered up at him. I don't think so. If it's a bear, it's a weird kind of bear, like nothing I've ever seen before, he said, shaking his head. Do you think they're really gone, she asked, teeth chattering as she nestled closer. He embraced her, realizing she only had her sweater on in the freezing night. He scanned the perimeter of the clearing. The dogs dashed back and forth on the porch pressing their noses into the board. Occasionally, they would sit back and call out into the sky, throat vibrating in harmony with the distant songs of the night. Otherwise, all appeared calm. I think so. Let's get inside for now. It's cold, he said, opening the door as he pushed her toward it. Both dogs ran inside without prompting, adding to his assurance that the monsters must have retreated. 
He ushered Rose in ahead of him, glancing back one last time to assure himself nothing moved in the darkness. Bravo! Like, Rose is my kind of character. Yeah, my supernatural creatures are based on the legend of the, the men with tails from the Atna, uh, oh at the Baskin. Yes, so. absolutely terrifying. So I tell, I seem to have um, authors that bring out my worst nightmares in their books. And my two worst nightmares in life are hiking in the forest. Because we live in the Northwest, you know what it's like. It's very dense forest. And finding a dead body, for some reason, I'd be the one to find a dead body in the forest as I'm hiking. Or being like stalked by a supernatural creature. <laughs> oh boy (laughs) there's some stories in there so bravo so wonderfully done and now we need to know more listeners if you're like me and you are now hooked on rose and this whole story about what these creatures are about what's happening definitely jump on get daniela's so this novella is available for individuals on amazon correct that is correct yes awesome so Uh, everybody knows in my show notes i'm going to have all the social media that you gave to us and found to us but so are you is this the novella and then it's going to go into another story or is this a standalone it's a novella i decided to it it ends on a cliffhanger so the next novel in the series will be called the devil's valley and i plan on having it available next spring like may time frame so you continuation of the story. I'm trying not to give away spoilers. Okay. And honestly, by the time this podcast comes out, it's going to be only like a few weeks before that novella will probably be out. So that's great to know. Right on. Awesome. Yeah. Daniela, thank you so much for being here with us. Now, listeners, here's your action item. If you loved what you heard and you fell in love with Daniela and you really want to know about her cabin that she's creating so that you can go have some writing time, make sure you get on her social media, follow her, let her know you heard on the podcast and we'll definitely stay in touch. Daniela, this was a lot of fun and take care during the winter up there. (laughs) Oh yeah. And next time I come to Seattle, I'll look you up. Definitely. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.